Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Is your home, or maybe your neighbor's home, looking like Christmas the Griswolds? <laughs> maybe you got all your decorations up and all your lights up already, or maybe you're still in the process. But we sometimes wonder, is all this necessary? It, it can be exhausting. I mean, it's beautiful. It's fun for a lot of people, but it can be very exhausting. And is it really all that necessary? Well, we can certainly celebrate and immerse ourselves into the mystery of the great incarnation the great mystery, in other words, the birth of Christ, we can certainly do that without anything, maybe even just a single candle, but of course, going to church. Do we really need all the other lights and ribbons and presents and trees and bulbs and decorations, etc., etc., etc.? Actually, in a sense, we do. Now, I'm not talking about in extremes, but we do need imagery. In fact, at this time of year, have you ever wondered why there is so much imagery, so much focus on imagery? I mean, the point of exhaustion, we exhaust ourselves decorating out there, our hands are freezing, setting up decorations and lights, and we have to take them down again. Why do we do it? Why do we play through the pain so much for this Christmas season? Why is the imagery so important? Well, especially in this time of year, it is important because this is exactly what happened. The image of the invisible God. The invisible God has become visible, visceral, through his own creation. He created everything, including the human person, which we are, of course. And then the invisible God, who is pure spirit, uncontainable, incomprehensible, infinite, condescends, lowers himself, to become, to take on his own creation. The creator becomes the creature while remaining the creator. The uncontainable is contained while remaining uncontainable. And he does that through a physical human body. And so what was once invisible is now visible. And the invisible world and the visible world are now united. That is the great mystery here. It's not just about a baby in a manger, but that's very much a part of it. It's part of that invisible becoming visible, but it's more than just a baby in a manger. It's not something sentimental. 
It's about this incredible great mystery, this miracle in which heaven and earth have been united. So when we use imagery, what we're doing is we're taking part in that same kind of reality where we take physical things and they represent for us or make present. That's the important word. They make present for us that which is invisible. Yes, we could celebrate Christmas, or rather, I like to say, immerse ourselves in the mystery of the incarnation so that transforms us, and we can then transform the world, starting with our own households. Yes, we can do that without anything, except, of course, for church. But the reason we do it with the things, the ornaments, the lights, is because it immerses us in a more visceral, more real, more thorough, more comprehensive more palatable way into this mystery. And if it's something that you love, don't you want to have all of it? Whenever we love somebody or love something, we just don't think about it or talk about it or say we have it in our head and our hearts. I mean, we can. That's all part of it. But what do we like to do? We like to get close to it. We like to touch it. We like to become part of it. We like it to become part of us, whether it's an experience or something we actually like physically, a piece of food like we have all kinds of wonderful holiday foods, do we say, well, I, I really love this or that food, but I never touch it. I just think about it. No, we want, we want a helping of that food. In fact, we go back for seconds because it's a way of uniting the experience. It's a way of making it real for ourselves. God gave us senses, five senses, primarily so that we can sense God. We who live in the physical world, the finite world, have to sense God through our senses. And that's why we're able to now see God, see God in the flesh as he walked on this earth. And now he's still among us in so many ways, in his creation, in events, in the Eucharist, in iconography and imagery. We need to sense God as real to us. And we do it because we are sensate beings, you know, we're body and soul. We do that through our senses. And with senses, we hear things. We hear we have to have music, the music of the Christmas time, which is so, so engaging, so moving for us. It really makes us, as we say, feel Christmassy, even though Christmas, of course, is beyond a feeling. Nonetheless, we want that experience of it in our souls, in our emotions, in our bodies, in our beings, in our DNA. We just want to become part of it, and it becomes part of us. And we do that through physical things, especially imagery. Imagine celebrating Christmas with no imagery. It almost would seem impossible. It wouldn't be the same. Now, you can minimize that. You don't have to go overboard. You don't make Christmas about the imagery. And we certainly do not worship images, as many of our non-Catholic friends say about us. They misinterpret that. They are aged to our experience of Christ, aged to our ever deeper, more visceral, comprehensive, real, mystical experience of a mystical reality. And that's why we need the imagery. If we focus on a particular image this time of year, and that is the manger scene or the crutch or the nativity scene, it comes in the form of live nativity or experiences like plays or people posing live outside as Joseph and Mary, Jesus, and so on. Or they set up statues, and hopefully they do it in public. 
It's okay. It's good. And we also do it through iconography. We do it through things in church and outside of church. We do it in all kinds of ways. In our homes, we display it in windows, in our yards, inside, outside. It's all the incarnational mystery. If you notice, the scenes, whether done through statues or live nativity scenes or as icons, the one thing that is common, there's actually a few things in common, if you notice about this central imagery of this great mystery of Christmas, is that there are so many things represented there. In fact, everything's represented. Now, if you notice this or not, think of the image. Think of the story itself in the Bible. Very colorful. It's like imagery in words. Let's face it, those infancy narratives are very, very symbolic, very meaningful, very, very connected with all of Scripture and all of prophecy, and they're very, very colorful. They're just absolutely, absolutely works of inspiration and genius. Well, the whole Bible is, but especially the infancy narratives they're so colorful. It's like this radio, like theater of the mind. We paint a picture with our words as you listen. Well, as you listen to the scripture or you read it, you get an image in your mind of this idyllic, beautiful, pastoral, peaceful, calm scene. And what is that scene? Well, that's, it's a scene of angels. In other words, heaven, right? Heaven, a star that comes from heaven and animals, very earthly things. Human beings, also of the earth, but also we stand between heaven and earth because we're body and soul. The rocks, the cave, the trees, water, the wise men bring gifts, the shepherds sing a song. We have every aspect of creation represented. I don't know if you ever noticed that. It makes it a beautiful scene, a touching scene, but it also a meaningful scene. What it is saying is that this incarnational mystery, this invisible God has infused himself in the whole of his creation. All of creation is now touched by God through this miracle, the incarnation, which of course begins with the baby, yes, in a manger, but that baby is God incarnate, is a human being. He becomes his creation. So in the icons or in the nativity scenes live or through statues, there is this great commonality of figures. Almost the exact same figures are in there and also in almost the exact same arrangements. Byzantine iconography was basically the standard of art in the church, east and west. Now, just before that, there was no iconography in the church when the church first started, like back in the days of the catacombs, they would use the kind of art that the Romans used in catacombs and on walls and so on. So it was a little bit naturalistic, but also symbolic. And then very soon, Christianity developed its own sort of code of iconography, its code of art, its canonized art, which we know today as iconography. And it now follows to this day certain precepts because what's happening is we're presenting through line and color what is in the scripture. It's like the Bible through line and color. And so it follows certain prescriptions that maintain the meaning of what is being conveyed, the event, the biblical verse, and so on. So iconography became the official art of the church. And then in the Western church, as the Western church developed in different art styles, such as the Renaissance and eventually the Baroque and so on, or the early pre-Renaissance, the medieval time, it allowed art to go in different directions, different expressions, from two dimensions even to statues. But it always maintained an echo of the original iconography. One of the things you can do when you study art, especially the art around this time of year, is you can see the similarities in the composition. In the Western art, they developed in different lines, and you could see the echo of the original iconography in there. 
One of the most important images that we have in our day and age, it came about in the 16th century, is the one that was painted by the Virgin Mary herself. We say painted, but we don't know how she did it. It's miraculous. It's on the tilma of, of course, Juan Diego. You know the story, hopefully, of Our Lady of Guadalupe appearing to the Aztec natives in Mexico in 1531 and painting the image of herself on the very tilma of Juan Diego to whom she appeared. And that tilma, that miraculous icon, something we're going to talk about, not only we're going to talk about it, but we are going to invite you to join me and others on a trip to actually stand before and pray before that icon made by the Virgin Mary herself, the icon of Our Lady of Guadalupe. We're going to go on a special trip of Byzantine Catholic Katrina pilgrimage in April, April 20th to the 27th in 2024. I'm going to hear more about that when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. Do you know what the Christmas spirit is? Some say the Christmas spirit is a feeling, a feeling of love, joy, and peace that comes this time each year. <laughs> you know, it's not a bad answer. It's just incomplete. The Christmas spirit is the living presence of the third member, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, actively animating and perfecting the lives of Christians. In fact, the love, joy, and peace that we associate with the Christmas spirit are what St. Paul calls the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Many wish the Christmas spirit could be with us all year round. Well, I've got news for you. It can. Why do you think I'm so jolly? So even long after the Christmas decorations are stored away, our hearts can be filled 365 days with the same love, joy, and peace that the angels proclaim to the shepherds if we are open to the power of the Holy Spirit, the true Christmas spirit. For Christ is born, glorify Him. I'm Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Kostka, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago. And you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East the Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And we're talking about imagery and the need for that, especially since it is so rich and comprehensive at this time of year. And we left off referring to an image made by the Virgin Mary herself. And I invited you on a trip to join me and others to come and see that 
It's going to be in April 20th to the 27th, 2024. It's significant we're talking about this icon in this trip because this week, we of course will be celebrating in America the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe on December 12th. Well, to talk a little bit more about this, we have a special guest here, a good friend of ours here at Light of the East, Father Andrew Summerson from St. Mary's Byzantine Catholic Church in Whiting, Indiana. Welcome to Light of the East, Father Andrew. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever, Father Tom. How are you? Oh, I'm excited about this trip, excited about the season, excited about the icon. You know, this is a great time for imagery. And you know, from my art background, it's very exciting for me. And Looking at this trip in which we're going to stand before this image made by the Virgin Mary herself, I'm going to ask you, how did this trip come about? You invited me to be a part of this. I know there's, there's something special about it to you and also to your wife, Laura, and to your parish. Yeah, the trip is really born of a threefold interest. You know, First of all, it's, it's born of a personal devotion to the Mother of God that both my wife and I share uh, pretty intensely. It's something that... Uh, uh, it's really been at the heart of our, our prayer together as a couple. Uniquely speaking, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe is a little bit of a patron for me. I was ordained on the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Strange for a Byzantine Catholic priest to be ordained on the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, but it's on our calendar. Our bishops uh, in the United States, after John Paul II named her patroness of the Americas, decided that uh, we needed to cultivate a devotion to her as our patroness. And there's so much that recommends uh, the Mother of God of Guadalupe uh, to our own Byzantine tradition. Uh, you have an icon not made by human hands that speaks uh, to the impoverished and the marginalized and the destitute and summons them uh, to a relationship with their son. And there's just all sorts of ways in which we find parallels of that throughout the Byzantine tradition, whether it's uh, you know the Mother of God of the Protection on October 1st, or whether it's uh, our own Our Lady of Mariupoch in Eastern Hungary, uh, weeping icon that uh, appeared to peasantry in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, for example. She's right at our home, the Mother of God, and particularly Our Lady of Guadalupe. So, really excited about that. That uh, you know she's. Uh, me and my wife's patron, she's a patron of the Byzantine Catholic Church in the United States, uh, but she's also a unique patron uh, to St. Mary's Byzantine Catholic Church in Whiting, Indiana, is the mother church of all Eastern Catholic churches in Indiana and Chicagoland. And while we're something old, we're also something new. There's been a tremendous amount of renewal in the parish, and that's come about actually through some ways through your own inspiration, Father Tom, and helping this community before my arrival revisit and revitalize the parish through the interior renovation uh, of its iconographic scheme. And when they just went about bringing back the traditional iconography of the Byzantine tradition uh, to St. Mary's in Whiting, uh, they wanted to make sure that it also had a local flavor. Uh, Whiting is historically Slavic, but is newly uh, Hispanic in its population. And so we put an actual painted iconographic rendition of Our Lady of Guadalupe on our wall. Uh, and to our knowledge, it's the only painted uh, icon version of Our Lady of Guadalupe anywhere in a Byzantine Catholic Church in the United States. It's our 125th anniversary this year. So for that reason, we wanted to lead a pilgrimage of our patron, both here at home, and to find a way to connect our church in Whiting with the original site of that apparition in Mexico. And you're, you're trying to make your own parish a kind of a place of pilgrimage, aren't you, Father Andrew? Yeah, I'm not trying to do it. I think God's doing it for us and uh, just trying to stay out of the way of that. Really, since uh, I've arrived, I've just been you know, astounded at the, the people that God have bring, 
brought through our doors, and, and it's really come about through our devotion to the Mother of God. We've instituted prayer campaigns in particular, really dedicated to praying for people that left the church. I have a devotion to an icon, Mother of God, Searcher for the Lost, and we started a prayer campaign for people that left the church in 2018, and uh, she's done her work to bring people that have been actually quite far from the faith uh, back into the heart of the Christian experience through the Byzantine Catholic tradition. Uh, so this year, we actually dedicated a shrine altar uh, outside a little prayer garden to the Mother of God, Searcher for the Lost, uh, featuring the icon uh, painted by none other than Father Thomas J. Loya, <laughs> who, when he's not busy running a radio show, is also a... Uh, iconographer in his own right in his garage so thank you very much for that father tom it's quite beautiful <laughs> oh, uh, it was an honor and speaking of your church with icons it really is a place of destination you mentioned uh, i'm going to go back to the Lady of guadalupe you do have an icon of her as you mentioned painted on the wall but there but that icon is is very very beautiful it, it's it's the it's the you know image of her but the way that it's done is is is, is really unique it's really it's worth a pilgrimage yeah, I mean, there's really delicateness to her face. I mean, it really tries to, um, in some ways, respect the miraculous image while, you know, staying in concert uh, sort of with the Byzantine tropes of, of the way in which uh, we do faces uh, and uh, gesture and the Byzantine rites. So uh, I'm quite uh, proud to have uh, that adorning our, our temple here. So we're together, you and I and others, God willing, are going to stand before that icon, the actual icon of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico. It's going to be during this pilgrimage, this retreat pilgrimage to Guadalupe in April 20th to the 27th, 2024. And the program is designed to offer pilgrims an experience of culture and faith, as well as moments of personal and community prayer in the Byzantine Catholic tradition. And... What we'll do is we're going to learn about the history there. I like the way you, you and Laura uh, organize these trips, because I've been on the other one, too, at Our Lady of Fatima, in, in which you give the context, you give allow time to tour the, the country, the, the sites there, to get to give a context of, of things. And then we go into the actual, if you want to call it the more spiritual part of the retreat. And that's how this is designed as well. And and so we're going to go there, get a flavor of, of the country and the history, and then we'll do some of the retreat work and visit the beautiful churches, the icon, of course. And surprisingly, can you tell the audience about this? Believe it or not, there are Byzantine sites in Mexico. Yeah, I mean, this is part of my wife, Laura's genius in all this, is, is that uh, she's really you know committed to making sure that we, we have a tailored experience uh, to an Eastern Catholic pilgrim group. Now, uh, our pilgrimage is open to anybody uh, because, you know, I think uh, any Catholic or Orthodox really can benefit uh, from an Eastern Catholic pilgrimage the way we do them. Uh, so we're pretty wide tent uh, in our uh, travel group. Uh, but, you know, one of the things she's keen on showing us is that, you know, we're not just an isolated reality in Chicagoland. We're not just an isolated reality in the coal mining regions of Northeast Pennsylvania, nor are we just an isolated reality in our countries of origin, whether in Ukraine or Slovakia or Hungary or whatnot. Uh, but we are a universal church. We're dispersed throughout the world. And that includes Mexico. Uh, we have a church that was founded by a retired Ruthenian priest and in retirement uh, from the eparchy of Passaic, uh, went to help serve the church in Mexico and out of that blossomed a mission and now a church. So we're going to visit our sister church in Puebla, uh, which has a real vibrant, uh, mostly uh, Mexican community of people who worship in the same way that 
you and I do in our churches, Father Tom. Uh, there's also a rather well-established Melkite community, so Arabic uh, Byzantine Catholics uh, that we're going to be visiting and praying with as well. You know, so it shows that it doesn't matter where you go uh, on the planet, uh, we don't need to uh, think of ourselves as, as, as ghettos, but rather connected to a universal reality. Where can people go to find out about this tour? So the best way we can do that is uh, you can go to, first of all, our Facebook page. It'll be up on our website currently, uh, stmarywhiting.org. I believe it's on your site, isn't it, too? ByzantineCatholic.com. Yes. You can find it also through Regina Tours, which is 1-800-CATHOLIC.com. That is also probably one-stop shopping for you, 1-800-CATHOLIC.com. And you'll find it right there because, uh, and you want to make sure you get your spots. Spots are filling up quick. April 20th to the 27th is right around the corner. Uh, It covers most of our expenses uh, to be there. $32.50 per person. That's for double occupancy. Uh, And while that's going to cover room, board, uh, all of our trips, uh, and it'll be a really great experience. And you want to get to 1-800-CATHOLIC.com to find more information about this Byzantine Catholic retreat and pilgrimage to Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico, April 20th to the 27th. Uh, it's a specialized Byzantine Catholic experience meant for the whole church, uh, led by the experienced tour director, my wife, Laura Yurachi, and with the retreats by Father Tom, who's somebody I can listen to all day, uh, and I'm certainly all your listeners are more than willing to listen to you every week and why not spend a week with you april 20th to 27th 2024 guadalupe mexico 1-800-catholic.com thanks so much for being with us father andrew god bless you and thank all of you for listening i'm father thomas loya on light of the east to hear light of the east again visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the features and programs tab and on itunes Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Hello, this is Father Joseph Mary, chaplain here at EWTN, inviting you to join me in a prayer for a fruitful Advent season. Almighty God, we thank you for this season of joyful expectation as we await and prepare for the coming of your beloved Son. Help us to be ready when he comes again in glory, to perceive his silent presence with us now, and to have bigger hearts ready to receive all that he desires to give us this Christmas. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.